the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between. And we're in springtime, Britain. Yay, we're loving a bit of spring. It's nice to see all the flowers coming out. And the I was, we were just about to start, and we had to stop because suddenly the sun came out and was shining right in my eyes, which was. Uh, a pleasant way to start, even though I had to put the blinds down. Something that hasn't happened since <laughs> last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> since I since I can remember. Um, so Ben, uh, I mean, usually one of us presents to the other, yep. which I'm I'm going to do the episode today. But it is a uh, what we're going to do is a topic and a paper that we're both familiar with, so it's slightly different, but kind of along the same theme. And I wanted to try and tackle a subject we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but we've never done a whole episode on. And something happened this week that made me think about it more. So I drive into London maybe once or twice a week, and I realise that on my way home, I often reach a certain point at the M40, and it always starts to rain, (laughs) or it rains more heavily than the rest of my journey. And I don't notice that happening on my drive in only seems to happen on the drive out. Now, I'm not saying there's anything paranormal going on. I'm really not. Uh, And I've not looked at it in any scientific way. It's just my perception of it. But what happened this week was when it did happen, I joked to myself, here we go. The creator's been monitoring my journey and told the computer code to turn on the rain. You know, a bit like the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's following me, turn on the rain. Um, So that's influenced my question that I want to talk about today, which is, do we live in a computer simulation or simulated universe? And could that explain a lot of the paranormal phenomena that we talk about on this podcast? See, we've we've brought this up before, but never got into it, as you say, with a full episode. But I mean, you know where I lie on this. I'm convinced it's a very rationable... Uh, rational, rational and reasonable explanation. I, I like to save time. I, I, I like to combine the two words rational and reasonable into rational um, because it saves time. And yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it is a great explanation, but also one of the most terrifying. I think it's more terrifying than the dead coming back in some sort of non-corporeal form is less yeah. scary than thinking you're a computer game, I think. Mm. I agree. But it's interesting you mentioned computer games. Because something I didn't realise until I did a bit was doing a bit of research for this episode is that the idea that we might live in a simulated reality goes back much farther than you might think. Oh, really? Yeah. In fact, it predates computers by hundreds of years. Wow. So the Aztecs believed, or some of the Aztecs at least, believed that we lived in a painting created by the gods. Ah. So Aztec philosopher-poets commonly characterised the cosmos as a sacred book of paintings and the humans within it as figures painted in the book. Ah, it's the same idea, but with a different way of explaining it. But I love that. More romantic way of explaining it. Yeah, I loved it. It's quite fascinating, the Aztecs, aren't they? Mm. Just, you know, some of the stuff is quite... I mean, I I know there was a lot of torture and sacrifice involved as well, but they did do some good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they they always get a bad name, uh, those, those Aztecs. Yeah. But I love that. I love that idea, though, that actually it's a painting that we're in. So in our world, it's a programmer... 
and in their world it's a painter. Yeah, yeah. God. Fascinating, huh? Yeah. He's moving his brush strokes pretty quickly, but I, yeah. I get where they come from. Yeah. Well, let's move forward a bit. So uh, I thought I'd start with a few more modern famous names that think it is possible we live in a computer simulation. Let's start with astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, who many of you will know. He's the he's kind of he's the I don't know which way around to say that he's kind of the American Dr. Brian Cox or the other way around, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. I would say so. Like an all round clever person. Yes, he said that he believes that the likelihood of us living in a simulated reality, I quote, may be very high. He goes on to make the point that humans have defined themselves as the smartest beings alive, that we regard our intelligence in a much higher order of magnitude than, say, a chimpanzee, yet we share 99% of our DNA with that animal. He goes on to talk about the general point that we've made on the podcast, Ben, many times. You know when we talk about ants looking at the moon or sitting in the Porsche, having no idea what it is or what's going on? Yeah. Um, And he says, what if there are life forms that are much smarter than us humans? He says, what would we look like to them? We would be drooling, blithering idiots in their presence. They might be able to create a simulation of a universe. And in that case, it is easy for me to imagine that everything in our lives is just the creation of some other entity for their entertainment. That, okay. So he's saying that... um the construct the reason for constructing it is purely an entertainment thing yeah. gosh because other people have suggested you know anecdotally this has gone into my head i don't have a reference to hand but other people have suggested that it would be uh sometimes it would be a simulation to look at what life used to be like before they had a simulation so it would be like yeah. a scientific journey but he's Which saying we'll come, we'll come on to that, oh okay yes so this is just like a PS5, that's what he's saying. Well, I mean, I guess there is some logic in that argument because in terms of the simulations that we've created as human beings, I, I, again, I've got no direct evidence, but I, I, anecdotally I would assume that we have created more game simulations than simulations for any other purpose. Yes, yeah, that's true, yeah. And... Um yeah, pretty much Which every game is a simulation of something, isn't it? Yeah. yeah well, they all are. Yeah. They mu- they have to be. Yeah, that's the nature it's of them. Ju- it's just the question of how good that simulation is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, another famous face that buys into the possibility of a simulated universe, quite famously, is Elon Musk. Musk believes that the changes, the chances of us living in what he describes as base reality, so the original reality rather than the simulated one, is one in billions. He said in 2016, the strongest argument for us being in a simulation is the following, that 40 years ago we had Pong, one of the first video games, two rectangles and a dot. Oh, do you remember Pong? I do remember Pong. Pong. It was the only computer game my grandparents ever owned. Yeah. Amazing. He goes on to say, now 40 years later we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously and it gets better every year. So given that we are clearly on a trajectory to have games that are indistinguishable from reality, it would seem to follow that the odds that we are in the base reality is one in billions. Because there are more virtual realities than there are 
just the one base reality. Right, right. By definition. Yeah. God, that's quite hard topic to get your head around, though, isn't it? Because we always assume we're in the reality. Yeah, but actually, statistically, that seems very unlikely. Yeah. Because there's only one reality and there are, you know, well, even for us, even for us human race, forgetting anything else, the ones that we've created, I mean, there must be millions, right? Games, flight simulators, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, even, yeah, we would, well, because it's not just the software code, it's every implementation of it. So, yeah, 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 even on your phone, yeah, you got a game going. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. So, given this is a broad topic, and there, (laughs) as I found when I was researching it, there are multiple rabbit holes we could disappear down. Uh, like, you know, or is it alien overlords or is it a parallel universe or, you know, is it something to do with quantum mechanics? I thought I would focus the rest of the episode around one paper. One, to keep it simple. Two, because it is an influential academic paper on the subject. Three, because the premise of the idea in the paper is an easy one to identify with. So for those reasons, I'm just going to focus on one paper from now on. Okay. And that paper is called, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? It was written in 2003 by Nick Bostrom, who is a professor at Oxford University in the Faculty of Philosophy. What I wanted to do today was talk about some of the themes in Nick's paper, as I understand them, and for us, Ben, to think about them in the context of paranormal phenomena, and whether the paranormal could in some way support or at least be connected with some of the ideas in his paper. Right. Um, And I know we've both read the paper. I'll carry on putting it together and we can just throw in. So I'll start with a summary of the paper as written by Nick Bostrom. I I will kind of simplify this afterwards. I'll just do a bit of a vatum and then we'll get into it. He says that his paper argues that at least one one of the following propositions is true. The first proposition is, the human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage. So I guess what he means by post-human is kind of living sentiently outside of the human body. Yeah, yeah. So that's option one. Option two would be, any post-human civilization is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their evolutionary history or variations thereof. I'll get on to why that might be the case in a minute. Uh, Option three, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. It follows that the belief there is a significant chance that we will one day become post-human who run ancestral simulations is false unless we are currently living in a simulation. So I'll I'll kind of simplify that. So my bare little brain, and you can tell me if you agree, Ben, I interpreted that as there are three options, only one can be true. Option one, humans will never reach the stage where they can create sentient beings that can exist in a computer game. That's option one. Or option two, Humans will be able to create sentient beings that can exist in a computer game, but for some reason decide not to. Ethics, whatever. Three, we are already sentient beings living in a computer simulation. 
Yes, that makes sense. There can't be a yeah. fourth option, can there? I mean, it's because it's then... The thing is... Well, I guess, I guess the fourth option is we are the kind of... I, I was going to say the apex, the first, the, the base reality, I guess, is the only fourth option. And it doesn't matter whether we've created simulations or not. Isn't that related to point two, though? It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, although point two says we wouldn't create them. Anyway, let's yeah, look at, yeah, let's yeah. Look at Bob Dylan in that. Um, I'm not going to talk much about... <laughs> we, we, there's no point as trying to mark the work of an Oxford professor. <laughs> yeah, of an Oxford professor. <laughs> <laughs> you got uh, it wrong, mate. <laughs> <laughs> let's just assume that that does make... It does make sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. I'm not going to talk about options one and two. Because And there is a lot in the paper regarding those options. So if you are interested, seek out that paper. Um, what we will do is we will put a PDF version of it, or a li- at least a link to it, on our Facebook page. So go to at TQM Podcast and the full paper will be accessible from there. It's kind of an open paper that people can read. <clears throat> so I'm going to focus on option three that we are already living in a computer simulation. So Nick Bostroms goes on to ask us to consider this premise, and I quote, Futurologists predict that enormous computing power will be available in the future. One thing that later generations might do with their super-powerful computers is run detailed simulations of their forebears or people like their forebears. Because their computers would be so powerful, they could run a great many such simulations. Suppose that these simulated people are conscious. Then it could be the case that the vast majority of minds like ours do not belong to the original race, but rather to people simulated by the advanced descendants of the original race. Okay. It is then possible to argue... If this were the case, we would be rational to think that we are likely among the simulated minds rather than among the original biological ones. So again, to, to, to simplify it in my mind, one, we will have immense computing power in the future. Two, we will run many simulations that mirror our past lives or history, a bit like you were saying, you know, history or reenactments, whatever. We would make the inhabitants of the simulation conscious to give us a better experience. There would be more simulated conscious beings than original ones because there'll be multiple simulations, so just simple math. How would we know if we were the original or simulated beings? In fact, the odds or probability would suggest it is more likely that we would be the simulated beings, right? That does make sense. Because <clears throat> yes, it, it becomes a mathematical argument, doesn't it? Uh, that he's yes, he's turning a philosophical argument into a mathematical one, um, uh, which does yeah, which makes it more terrifying, really, when you put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, but one thing I was thinking because we, we touched upon it while we were first talking is well, these kind of almost historical uh, simulations. Yeah, but considering most people create games but it did make me think about um educational that we would create them for some kind of educational and maybe just entertainment as well either to observe it from the outside or go into the simulation to have an experiential experience 
It reminded me a bit of visitor attractions we might go to now. You know, the ones that recreate life from a past era, like the war or Victorian Britain or even further back, and you turn up at a village that they've recreated. There's often actors dressed in original costumes and all that kind of stuff. Reminded me a bit of, yeah, we would do that, right? (laughs) Well, Call of Duty. I mean, that recreates elements of the war. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, the whole, yes, it does make sense. It definitely, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Mind you, some of those, when you walk in those uh, uh, war recreation things, like um, uh, like the Civil War, British Civil War, the Seal Knot people, it's terrifying because you've got Brian, who normally works in accounts, who <laughs> won't come out of character, play this thing, and yet... Quite often he's like wearing a digital wristwatch and like hasn't stayed that true. And you're like, Brian, is it possible you could just move your car? And he's like, there is no Brian. There is only me, Jack, who is fighting car, over there. Cars have not been invented yeah, exactly. yet. <laughs> uh, what is this car? Mate, it's literally over there and you've got the keys in your pocket. <laughs> you've got the keys in your chain mail. <laughs> But all this this section of the paper made me think about time travel uh-huh. and time slips. Oh. Oh, I see why, yes. So you have these kind of historical recreations of the past that you can either observe from the outside or, more importantly, go and visit. So I thought about the disappearing gas station episode that we did. Yes, yeah, so that was... Um, that was from the 14 Times website. It's one of the longest running threads on there. Essentially, um, man fills up with, um, I think, well, it's either petrol or diesel, fuel anyway. Uh, and it's a really odd sort of fuel and it appears really cheap and the owner is uh, odd in the whole scenario. They drive off and then when they come back to try and find it, that gas station doesn't appear to be there. Um, and seemingly never was. And then there's a whole load of investigation about like what it could possibly have been spanning about 16 years. So I'm not going to sum up 16 years, but that's yeah, essentially yeah, it. Yeah, and, and they tested the petrol, right? And it was from a previous era, the type of petrol. Yeah, it was a wartime petrol, right? yeah, that had been watered down, well, mixed with a cheaper form of gasoline, but it would still work yeah. in the car, yeah. So I, I, what that made me think about is that story could be an example of maybe stray code uh-huh. between two historical simulations getting mixed up. Yes, yes, I, I agree. In this world, in this idea. Yes, yes. And then you have somebody like John Titor who was uh, went online in the early days of the internet and claimed he was a time traveller from the future who'd come back to collect computer parts uh, did made lots of predictions, drew lots of detailed pictures of his time machine. I thought about that and thought, well, actually, could he be a character from another simulation who is sentient and managed to work out in some way how to shift to another part of the programme or another simulation? Yeah. Um, or it could just be... It could just be a coder who got it wrong as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that it made the other one. It made me think about was maybe this is a bit of a reach, but could uh, 
interaction with the men in black, could the men in black be somehow historical time tourists? Oh, oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? You would, wouldn't you? And and some of them might step over the boundaries and have to, you know, oh, they saw me arrive, I need to clean it up. You know, you could tie that in with UFOs, all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason they look so odd is because maybe they're using, like, the default avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or you get to play around with your own avatar like you do in computer games now, and all people do all kinds of strange things to make themselves look a bit different, don't they? Yeah, they do. Or maybe they just, maybe they like going in as that character. Maybe there's, like, a little team of people. Yeah. yeah. Although, yeah, again, when you know that the people in the game have become wise to you... I don't know. I'd probably dress as something else. Yeah, that is true. I, you know, I'd probably just go, go in as Timmy Mallet or something. And they go, but it, it, yeah. But the key thing for me on that section was, actually, if there are historical um, simulations, people, if they are going into those simulations in some way, it is almost time travel. That's exactly what it is, right? It's just virtual time it travel. It is time travel, yeah. Yeah. And... The so the interesting thing there is the accuracy of that time travel is based on the coders and storyboarders and everybody that make that thing and they will use reference material and knowledge to make it. But this scenario, it's almost like you'd be doing something different. So the beings within there and that world, it is self manipulating through some kind of ai so the structure is provided but then the ai runs under rules so it creates the universe so it's not like oh and on this day this must happen it becomes a living breathing yeah it's not like as we would say from a a ghost point of view it's not um stone tape theory it's a proper you know it's not just replaying events it's it's creating an environment. But if you think about it, though, the ones I talked about earlier, the ones that you physically go and visit, they just create an environment, don't they? It's not like they follow a set script necessarily. They are just uh, those ones that you visit now of, you know, a Victorian village or whatever. They, uh, they just dress up and there are actors there and people walk around and kind of interact with it. Do you know what I mean? There's not a narrative is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Whereas... Um a computer game is stone tape theory because it only has so many options. Options, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting you talk about computer power because um, I'm going to come on to that. There is a lot of detail in the paper about computer power needed to create simulated reality, uh, which I'm not going to go into again. Go and check out the full paper. But uh, there was a quote that really struck me, and it's this says, if the environment is included in the simulation, this will require additional computing power. How much depends on the scope and granularity of the simulation? Simulating the entire universe down to the quantum level is obviously infeasible unless radical new physics is discovered. But in order to get a realistic simulation of the human experience, much less is needed – Only whatever is required to ensure that the simulated humans interacting in normal human ways with their simulated environments 
don't notice any irregularities. Uh, I don't know how to get my head around that. So, so he, so he's saying if we wanted to create the whole universe to a certain level, it would take a ton of computing power. But actually, if the purpose is to create, this is my understanding, the purpose is to create a simulation that feels realistic for the people in it, you just only have to do enough. I'll come on to a bit more about that, which might clarify. What it did remind me of is, I don't get the time these days, but I used to like playing driving games on my old PlayStation. And the details of the cars and tracks were great, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, even down to the dashboards and everything. But when you crashed into a barrier, which uh, annoyingly I did on quite regular occasions, uh, you'd see the crowd, which were basically two-dimensional and had no faces or no detail on them because they didn't need to. That wasn't the level of detail that I required in that simulation. I just needed the cars and the tracks and the interaction with that to be at a higher level. So that is what this reminded me of. You don't need everything, you know to be an immense detail so he he was saying at one point in the paper that the inside of the earth you only need to create the inside of the earth if say a caver goes down there to have a look at it it doesn't need to be created all the time and i guess i wonder whether this is why we sometimes have problems as a species looking at the very micro the the subatomic layers yeah yeah um but Hmm. Just thinking that through. Well, before you go, before no, you go on. on to that, because this bit about effectively, you don't need to code everything, or you don't need, you know, the level of detail doesn't need to be there all the time. Got me thinking about some of the paranormal phenomena we've discussed. Mm. So, we did an episode on doppelgangers, people coming across the exact replica of themselves. Yeah. And that made me think, well, actually, yeah, you might be reusing code, right? You might be reusing Mm. code of that simulated character expecting that they wouldn't bump into each other or they're from different simulations and somehow there's a mixture of where, oh, shit, you actually bump into the person that has got the same coding as you, basically. Yeah, or it's just someone twatting around to do it it on purpose just to mess with you. Jots made me think about that. There's a whole thing around just one of those things, weird coincidences, you know, a bit like my rain coming down. It's like, well, there is a, there's something in the programme that creates rain. I just happen to just hit that point at the right time every time or it triggers it. Yeah, yeah. It also made me think of two stories that happened to us. One with your black-eyed grandpa, which was oh, yeah. a guy you were dry. I mean, we have told this story a couple of times, but yeah. just a quick summary, Ben was driving uh had to pull over for i can't remember tractor it, or whatever. it was yeah to let a lorry go by yeah uh and a man kind of banged on his window and then as you drove off he just seemed to disappear he was weird looking he just seemed to disappear yes i had one uh a few weeks ago where i had a week where i drove past this one garage and every time i saw a guy at the same point and on the last day i saw him i looked left and he just disappeared and that got me thinking that as maybe part of the coding, it's almost part of the program goes, they disappear because they think we're not going to look back. We don't need to show that person anymore. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Saving computer power. 
Yeah. Look, I, this, I don't want to distract you, but I had one of those yesterday. Oh, Genuinely. Um, and this sounds like... It's that, honestly, if you listen to this show, it sounds like Peter and I just having phenomenal experiences every week, but it's not the case at all. Like, But this happened to me yesterday, and it was properly weird, and I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation, but I was taking the dog for a walk. I was walking up... Well, you know where I mean, the Phoenix Trail. It's kind of a wide yeah. path... Um, and there's only a few exits and entries on it. And coming up the path was um, a woman with her dog, and she was wearing uh, a tracksuit and a hat because it was cold. And it looked like she was about to break into a run, and I thought, oh, this is okay, she's going to run past. And then I looked at my dog to move him to the side because my dog can get a bit grumpy with other dogs. Looked up, and she'd completely gone, had, as had the dog. And I'd wow. only looked away and I was like, where the heck did she get to? And I just put it, I just shrugged and I thought, ah, I'll tell Peter that one day. But it was, yeah, it was flipping weird. Interesting you should talk about those disappearing things today because, yeah, that was a thing. That is quite weird, isn't it? Wow. Okay. Well, this is, I'm going to, this, this touches, what I'm going to read out next from the paper does touch a little bit on that. Okay. But the does next it feature tracksuits? It doesn't feature tracksuits. Oh. Not, not specifically. Oh, just mainly, just leisure wear in general. Yeah, just, okay. just leisure wear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Over, overall shell suits rather okay, than Okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine, I'm listening. So this quote made me think of something that blew my mind and I'll see if it blows your mind. So Bostrom goes on to say, distant astronomical... <laughs> he didn't say that. That's easy for he you went, to say. Yeah, exactly. He said, distant... Astronomical objects can have highly compressed representations, such as planets or distant objects in space. On the surface of Earth, macroscopic objects in inhabited areas may need to be continuously simulated, but microscopic phenomena could be filled in ad hoc. I see. Okay. So this is what we were talking about there is like... um the the simulation moving its processing power around to fill where it's most needed where basically. it's most yeah. needed yeah because there is something isn't there that is curious that if you don't want to simulate something <clears throat> you don't you don't allow the program to allow the inhabitants to do that thing but yeah i don't know well <laughs> Hold that thought about this, that computer power being needed where, when and where it's needed, because <laughs> this will blow your brain. That got me thinking about the dual slit experiment and observer theory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Basically, that's the weird phenomena, I'm not going to go into massive detail, that some scientific experiments provide a different result if observed by humans. If these are in areas of the simulation that have been deemed to need less computing power or detailed graphics, it would explain why they provide one result when they think they're being observed and another when they don't. I see. Yeah, okay. That blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That... So is, is observer theory and the, well, or the Jules Slick experiment specifically, is it almost the program's not good enough <laughs> to quite work out unless we are directly observing it that it needs to put a different result in yeah well somebody an actual scientist tried to explain to me the other day because i 
I asked him about the dual slit experiment and he said that it was about, so again, I'm saying the words, but I don't really fully get what he's saying. But what he said is that the, the information that is being asked of the photons is different, is different between when it's observed and not observed. And it just doesn't have the ability to answer the question and remain in a super state at the same time, which is why you get that weird effect. And right. I said, but so does that mean it's just data then? And he said, yes, everything is just data. And I said, well, surely that's a simulation. And he said, no, it's just a different way of explaining the world when you talk about quantum mechanics and it's a different way of looking at science. It doesn't mean we're in a simulation and I don't think we are. So um, I just came away going, I don't get it. But um, <laughs> so that's his take on it. Because I, So I have directly asked somebody about that. But to me, and again... I am not a scientist, but it does make more sense to me that it would be um, a simulation. Or the other thing about it, the third thing, is that it isn't just um, down to the computing power required to sustain the simulation or indeed the data required for asking that question, if that was what was happening. It could be that the the answer to it breaks the code. And if yeah. we were to ever find out how that worked, right. we would then, we would know something we shouldn't know. It's a bit, it's right. Truman Show, right? It's like, don't yeah, let him see the we thing. we ruin the simulation yeah, if we yeah. found the answer. That's interesting. Well, there is there is a section of the paper, I, I mentioned option two earlier, right at the start of the podcast. And if you remember, that is where entities can create these simulations, but choose not to right? So they don't exist because they have the technology, they just don't. And the paper says one reason for this could be an ethical one. It might cause distress or suffering to the inhabitants of the simulation, so we're not going to do it. And that got me thinking about ethics within a wider context. That got me thinking about there must be ethics within the simulated world, right? If that's what we live in. I could imagine there'd be strict rules for the entities who might come and spend time in our simulation, right? One, to maintain the integrity of the concept of the simulation, just kind of what we were talking about there, especially if it's a historical one, right? You don't want somebody coming... You don't want a John Titor coming in going, oh, well, hold on, I've got this thing. that You don't need all that. The other reason could be not to distress or disturb us, the sentient beings that call this simulation our home. And that got me thinking about a number of paranormal connections. So I'm just going to throw these out there and see what you think. Could alien or ghost sightings be the simulation's creators slipping up while they're in the simulation? Yes, I've often thought that, yes. Sometimes I've pondered on if you delete a character does some of that code keep running so that could explain right. some of the some of the post death things um yeah. if you are a player that exits the game but you want to carry on observing the game is that so is there a third party exterior to the game who comes back in to observe something and they accidentally cause some activity um to go on and then 
with like the UFO and alien sightings, you think, well, maybe it's a built-in feature to make it all more exciting. Maybe it's yeah. like this is literally just the gameplay element. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, that was good. If but if we so that got me thinking about if we say it's a historical or past ancestors simulation, as as the the writer of the paper would describe it. <laughs> I have this thought. I'll throw this one out there. Could poltergeists be the naughty teenage creator entities having a school trip to our simulated world? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just misbehaving, they could. just misbehaving. Yeah, right? absolutely. They could. Yes, yes. Yeah, that. Uh, I think that makes more sense almost than anything else because why it's never made any sense to me. If you take something like the Enfield poltergeist, and it's you know supposedly this old man who died there. And why is he chucking stuff around? Like, you you don't chuck stuff around when you're in a corporeal body. I mean, what is it about being on the other side where you're like, do you know what? I'm just going to chuck this cup over there. And and, and other people would say, well, they're just trying to get attention. But once they've got attention, they don't stop. They're like, oh, let's levitate the bed. That would be terrifying. But if you're a kid, all of that stuff is funny. Yeah. Well, it might be reminded me, I'm sure you've had this experience, when we were kids, we'd do that kind of day trip to France, to Calais or Boulogne, and we'd all go out and buy the same things. There'd be some nudie playing cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a flick knife, right? And then you'd get on the you'd you get on the boat. You went to a different school to me. We never bought a flick knife. Oh, what kind yeah, of school no, did you go to? to? <laughs> it was quite rough. But you'd get on the boat and the teachers... And sometimes even the tannoy would go, if you've got any of these items, they won't be allowed through customs. So we bought them and just threw them over the side. Oh my Do you God. know what I mean? But, it, but it's a good example. Yeah. If there was a the poltergeist, could be, you know, naughty teenagers <laughs> on a school trip to our simulated world. I thought you were going to say we used to go over to France and then we'd be all about levitating beds and throwing cups and the French were like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I'll throw another one out out there. Screen memories are inserted to make us forget the breaches of the rules by our overlord entities. Yes. Although you'd have thought by now they'd have come up with something more than just a giant owl. But yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that does make sense. And, and missing time, of course. Yeah, yeah. And the other one... Um, which I thought of was regressions bringing back mm. some of those memories. Or, as you were saying, if it's past life regressions, it could be the fact that some of your code has been reused Yeah, and you still retain some of the information from it. Yeah. Well, the other thing about... I think that could also be tied to remote viewing because um, if you're say you are a sentient being running within an AI, you exist only in code on a chip or whatever, you know, whatever the chip thing is. Um, so under certain circumstances, it should be possible to see um, what other calculations and therefore what other entities are happening and doing in other parts of the chip, if you see what I mean. So that does make a yeah, lot of yeah, sense. Yeah. Oh, oh, there is some kind of, hive consciousness that you're tapping into Mm. 
You know what I mean? That yeah. there is there's code that's unique to you, but there's code that you share or is almost integrated to the rest of the program. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The next bit also the next bit also blew my mind. Bostrom states it may be possible for simulated civilizations to become post human. They may run their own ancestor simulations on powerful computers they build in their simulated universe. Such computers would be virtual machines. Now, I didn't know this next bit. A familiar concept in computer science. JavaScript web applets, for instance, run on a virtual machine, a simulated computer inside your desktop. I never knew that. Mm. Yeah. I know, I know you've done a lot of computer science stuff, but that kind of blew my mind because I thought, okay, so I've, I've got one of these simulated computers on my computer now and I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. Yeah. When we were learning how to do, um, I was going to say ethical hacking. It's Well, it was really accessing other databases on other systems. This is like 93, 94. We would have um, like Sun microsystems and then we would run um, Windows and DOS virtual machines within them and they become impervious to anything. So you can't infect. Yeah. So if it catches a virus, it's only a virus on that virtual machine. You just kill it and you can move on. So right. they're sort of like these right. safe bubbles of stuff um, that that happen um, within a greater thing. Never ne- That never occurred to me that that came into the simulation theory, but that is, that is, it, that is super interesting. And the other thing about that is... You could play, you could have two versions of Windows 95, say, running as virtual machines. You could play a driving game on one and a driving game on the other, and they would have no knowledge of either. And yet you could be racing two, you could be playing two race games at the same time, and neither one would know that you were doing the other. They were completely independent. So, yeah, Yeah, I see exactly where this is coming from, yeah. Yeah, but that blew my mind. So he's basically saying that if we are living in a simulated reality it's likely or possible at least that we will become post-human and create simulations ourselves. He goes on to say, we would have to suspect that the post-humans running our simulation are themselves simulated beings and their creators in turn may also be simulated beings. Reality may thus contain many levels. Now, that... So let me just go on and we'll come back to that. There is some really interesting stuff that flows from that thought in the paper, I think. The fact if beings within a simulated reality create simulated realities, then it is impossible to know where we sit within the hierarchy. (laughs) So that leads to the possibilities of the concept of an afterlife. Yeah, Right. right. The fear that if we behave badly, the people on the level above us may not approve, (laughs) creating what the author describes as a truly virtuous circle. That made me Uh, think about our conversation. That made me think about our conversation about evil last week, Uh, mm -hmm. Mm. where we said it kind of feel evil seems disconnected from us, and good feels connected. Is that because there is this weird simulated hierarchy that we only know about on a subconscious level? Well, some religions believe in different levels of... Um, yeah, of existence. Uh, existence and sort of like, I guess, 
<laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it because I haven't seen those releases, but I guess in my in my understanding of it, at the top level, you've got gods or God, and then you've got like yeah. angels, and then you've got like saints and mortals and stuff. And it's like it's like reaching Nirvana. Reaching mm-hmm. Nirvana in this simulated case would be getting to the stage where you almost become the original creator. Yes. Yes. Ah. But but <laughs> but I think the point. Right. Yeah. But I think the point Bostrom makes is if we're in a simulation and there are multi-simulations and we don't know if we're in a simulation created by other simulated people, it, the, the concept of good and evil becomes quite important because you don't know where you sit <laughs> within the hierarchy, even on a subconscious level. So you, mm. you lean towards good behaviour as it would be deemed by the people above because you don't want to screw up. So the church is basically a guide to how to play the computer game better from their point of view. Yeah, or, or they're the Norton security software. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh my God, that's an amazing thought. <laughs> so so far i've been making connections between this paper and the paranormal myself right um but nick bostrom in the paper does make some sort of connection himself in this quote from the paper which i just i loved this he said in addition to ancestors ancestors simulations one may also consider the possibility of more selective simulations that include only a small group of humans or a single individuals. The rest of humanity would then be zombies or shadow people. Humans simulated only at a level sufficient for the fully simulated people not to notice anything suspicious. Wowzers. <laughs> Wowzers. It's just zombies, shadow people, ghosts, they're all stuff, all kinds of stuff flew through my mind when I read that quote. Yeah. Yeah. That explains well, that be, that then starts to become an explanation for all the stuff that we talk about. Yeah. That is nuts, isn't it? Yeah. So no. I've got nowhere to go with that apart from, yes, that's insane, yeah. It's just insane. It just blows your mind. I thought the paper was really amazing and it just sparked so much for me. And I think it was good to focus it around the paranormal because there are loads of other things. But it's amazing, actually. I thought when I first started the idea of it, I thought, oh, is it going to be tough to tie it into the paranormal themes? But it kind of just made sense in terms of the paranormal themes. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but I thought before we do talk about the whole episode, I think it makes sense to look a little bit at the sceptic point of view on this theory. Yeah. So uh, I've got a few quotes from someone called Tim Lau from an article he wrote titled, Why Why We Don't Live in a Simulation, A Physicist's Perspective. Again, I've really simplified this, so I will put a link to he the He sounds like a killjoy. Yeah, ruin <laughs> it for everyone. These, these are real bullet pointy. He says, Our world contains an incredible amount of hidden complexities, far beyond what a simulation can ever achieve. That's one of his points. 
The world contains far more detail than what we care about. So I guess that's like the microscopic, macroscopic level. Oh, in fact, he says that. Computer simulations only capture the macroscopic while ignoring the microscopic. Uh, I guess this is the maybe the big point. He said the world is chaotic. He talks about the butterfly effect, which we know, you know, butterfly whaps, yeah, it, flaps yeah. its wings and then you get a hurricane. He said, from a simulation perspective, this means that when simulating chaotic systems, the error on the simulated outcome will grow exponentially. So it's like if you create this almost chaotic environment, it will lose control with itself. Yeah. With, although it's funny, that quote made me think, I remember hearing a story uh, about the guy who created Sim City. Mm. I don't know if the original was called Sim City, but anyway, the first version of that um, game where you control a, a whole city. Yeah, and he said he'd got it. He got it to the point where he was happy with it, and he'd been playing it for like twelve hours to check the code and stuff like that. And he got his city perfect, and he fell asleep. <laughs> he fell asleep at his computer, and he woke up about five hours later, <laughs> and he looked at the screen. And his city had turned into a jungle. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 his whole civilization had been destroyed. Which it does kind of, it suits, weirdly, I took that uh, theory that it's so chaotic that no one could control it. Actually, well, actually, there's an example of something you do control that can be chaotic. You just have to look after it like a plant, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And he said he basically saying that a simulation could not cope with the chaos that is included in our life. But surely then he's making an assumption that on the computing power available, and I think that's very difficult to do because yep. surely somebody a hundred years ago, if you just said we're going to simulate a car racing environment, and you can actually sit in a car. Yeah, they'd have laughed in your face and said, "That's well, just not possible." It, it, it's Elon Musk's point about Pong yeah. versus, you know, Gran Turismo Seven that's about to come out. You know, the, that, that's within forty years. Although this this uh, this skeptic's point of view, he did make a final point, which again slightly blew my mind. Uh, see what you think about this. He said, "If all the inconsistencies can be explained away as being simulated." If this is true, then thoughts about simulations are all simulated as well. So how are we to trust them as genuine thoughts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that blows your minds. Well, I mean, what is a genuine thought anyway? I mean, yeah. um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a well-trodden path in philosophy, but how do, we not, how do we know that the rest of our lives are real? How do we know that our memories are real? We don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think putting this together, you know, I, I think it's been good to solidify it in one place because we do talk about this concept a lot and it does make a lot of sense, the simulated reality, especially the way he's structured it as almost a, a historical reenactment in some way. Yeah. Um, it does make a lot of sense with a lot of the paranormal phenomena that we talk about on the podcast and we've talked about today. But I, I guess there's always a bit of me that goes, 
is it the path of least resistance? Just because we can make it fit doesn't mean it makes it so, as it were. No, no, it doesn't. Um, but it, it it does bring a lot of answers where you where one we all collectively struggle to find answers. Like it would explain the big odds. The the you know the answer to the big question is why we're all here. That would be that's yeah. explained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is we are a simulated environment for the next level up. Whether that's the 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 base reality or not. Yeah. And and I tell you what, it also there is there is something which I find kind of amazing is that people who go on ayahuasca and even LSD trips, they all see um, geometrical hallucinations or they appear to be hallucinations and sometimes meet robot beings and they all report very similar experiences. They see the same patterns. They interact with um, entities which appear the same to look the same. And sometimes the entities even recognise that person as coming back to them for another time. Now, obviously, uh, conventional wisdom would say, well, that is, you know, that is just a product of your visual cortex and your imagination. But if you say it's a simulation, if you're breaking the entity to an extent by taking the ayahuasca, you're interfering with the code. Um, Are you seeing through... (laughs) through the matrix and i know again that's a well-known and well thought through trope but that that makes me suspicious that there isn't something else going on even if it isn't a full-on simulation yeah well it's interesting you mentioned the matrix i saw because of the new matrix coming out the author of the paper we've been talking about um nick bolstrom was uh interviewed i think on wired uh about the matrix and they kind of made him watch it in light of his theory and there was a lot that he said was you know really interesting the bit he didn't buy was that we are all basically human batteries <laughs> and that the huh. you know that idea that the matrix we use to create power for the machines he was saying humans are very very poor battery <laughs> it doesn't make any sense that they would use us as batteries <laughs> so yeah I don't even know how that would work. No. Yeah. But he said he said he thinks a lot of it does kind of fit in with some of the themes of his paper, but that bit doesn't really make sense. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's a good person. So that was a recent interview, was it? Yeah, it was a recent interview. We'll put a link to that as well in oh, the, nice. on our Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting guy. So this is something, I mean, I reckon we mention the simulated universe like once every five episodes because we end up covering some stories and it becomes the only explanation that we can think of like yeah. like i say it's kind of like the it really all, boil, all boils down to you know whether it be an alien abduction whether it be a ghost sighting whether it be a goat man sighting yeah. it is if you put it in nick bostrom's first three terms it's like either so the first two are boolean so either you did see a goat man or you didn't see a goat man or goat men 
Hmm. No, that doesn't make sense, does it? Well, uh, well no, so either you did it, see a goat man, you didn't see a goat man. Well, let's put it this way: either you did see a base level real goat man, yeah, or you didn't see a base level goat man, which means you saw a simulation or something else that you misinterpreted through the simulation. Right, right. But if, does that make but, sense? but yes, it does. And if you did see one. Then it is. It is. It, you you did see a goat man, yes, and 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 that's that's true of everybody. And, and we put it in more simple and easier to understand terms because I'm struggling with getting lost in nested logic loops here. But it's like it comes down to either people are lying, people aren't lying, or there is something else going on. And this is this is the something else that could be going on. Well, maybe also there's a little bit in me that almost fights against the simulation theory and i wonder if there's a bit of me that goes i don't want it to be explainable <laughs> do you know what i mean maybe yeah. it becomes a bit like the mask magician who shows you how the trick's done you kind of want to know but once he showed you you kind of go oh is that how it's done that's a bit boring um you know there's something there's something about that i i i'm with you on this theory of a simulated universe and we're living in a computer simulation does explain a lot. I do also wonder if it, if I lean more to almost a kind of parallel universe or there is a different realm that we don't quite understand and there is some either tourism <laughs> from that other realm coming to our realm or... Um, it's it's always constantly there, but we only notice it sometimes, or we only see it sometimes. Yeah, and that tourism thing—I mean, that is something that people have speculated about around aliens as well. I mean, we come back to Douglas Adams quite a lot, but Douglas Adams, you know, he famously portrayed a lot of uh, instances where you would describe UFO visits as as tourist things you know yeah. the restaurant at the end of the universe is all about intergalactic tourism and yeah. um it would make sense it would make sense and i it think would... that isn't there a radiohead song where tom york talks about driving and seeing ufos and i think he i think if i'm right i could get i could be wrong about this but i think he describes them also almost as um wildlife documentary makers yeah yeah <laughs> which that, that theory is good as well yeah. Because um, actually, if you use that analogy, in a lot of them, you know, they are, the filmmakers are in those kind of disguised <laughs> huts, aren't they? So the animals don't know that they're there because they want them to behave naturally. Well, is that not what perhaps a man in black is? Yeah. yeah. A walking hut yeah. disguise. Yeah. And if you think in that scenario, they're not doing it because they're worried that the animal will see them and not understand well they might be but their primary thing is no i just want it to not know i'm there so it behaves in the way it would normally behave yes <laughs> which isn't how men in black behave no exactly <laughs> well i was reading one the other day where uh, uh a man a man in black comes in and um he just get, he gets invited into the house and uh, she says, can I get you a drink? And he says, yes, jelly. And um, she's like, okay. 
gives him a uh, she gives him a, a she does happen to have some jelly and then he can't work out why he can't drink it and keep just keeps <laughs> sitting there trying to drink the jelly and I'm just like what are you doing what 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 bizarreness is this <laughs> yeah Oh, that'd be terrible if they were brilliant at computer simulations but were intrinsically stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Oh, that's the worst of both worlds. Well, I I kind of slightly blows my mind, but I'm glad we've uh, we've almost condensed it into one episode. And I've got to say that um, I know I know reading academic papers is a bit of a grind, but. that paper by Nick Bostrom, if you do get a chance, go to our um, Facebook uh, to read the whole thing. It's well worth it, I think, if you put a bit of effort in it. It will send your brain a firing or your computer code a firing. And then you can remember it, it for next Christmas Day when you've had a couple of bottles of wine. Yeah. You can try and explain it to your mother-in-law about how... No, the turkey was delicious. It wasn't dry in any way. We're all part of a simulation. And um, you can, yeah, you could use it in uh, situations like that to uh, to really ease the tension in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, that well, was great. And it'll give us something to back ref to next time we come across a intergalactic goat man visiting yeah. the, um, the M6. An, an intergalactic goat man tourist. <laughs> yes, yeah. come to visit. <laughs> He's come no, from Planet Goatman, where everything's very much like it is on Earth, but everything's chewed, and um, they only eat out of <laughs> nose bags. But apart from that, everything's the same. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll be here next week as long as we haven't, by doing this episode, made our way to the uh, next level of the simulation. You will see us next week with more of the quantum mechanics. Like and subscribe. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Are you the quantum mechanics?